Our priest is a dying man. The dying men, women, youth. And I will preach as though I will never preach again. So God, God has his reasons for why he saves us in stages. Sanctifies us slowly, makes us fill up every day at his pump. Lest we forget where the gas comes from. Welcome to Follow Me to Heaven, where God's word is truth and your questions matter. So we have been in Ephesians for quite some time, about a month, and we have gone through almost all of chapter 1 in Ephesians, and today I will be finishing up chapter 1, and we will be focusing on verses 15 through 23. So let me go ahead and read verses 15 through 23. I'll give you guys the context, and then we will dig in. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Listen now to the word of the living God, and it says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So to give you guys the context of what's going on here in this uh, letter of to the Ephesians or the letter of Ephesus, it's Paul first quickly giving his greetings, his salutations, and saying that this letter was written to the saints who are in Ephesus. Many scholars believe this letter was to be read among all the churches that are within this area because there's portions of Ephesians at the end of Ephesians, actually. It says that this letter also to be read in Laodicea. So we see that not, not only a specific church received this letter and kept it. Instead, it was circulated. But in verses 3 through 14, it's a, a big, huge doxology. Praise to God. And how does he praise God? By explaining the spiritual blessing that we have in the heavenly places. So first what he does is he blesses the Father he praises God, and in verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now the praise is brought to Jesus specifically here. And then when we get to verses 11 and on, we get that all of this is done so by the Holy Spirit. 
So he's giving praise to the Holy Spirit by saying in verse, verse 13 of chapter 1, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee? So the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. So it's like our down payment. This is our seal per se until the Lord Jesus returns. But the Holy Spirit doesn't go away or disappear. He remains because he is God. And it says that we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we also talked about that all of this was for God's glory, soli del gloria, right? And we will continue this uh, whenever Paul now shifts his uh, doxology to God to a thankful prayer. And Paul is known to be the one who would be in prison, the one who would be beaten up. And then right after he would praise God, he would rejoice in God. And in Philippians, we also get the, the idea that we are to bring our petitions to the Lord, right? Cast our anxieties onto him. Uh, make our reasonableness be made known to him with thankfulness, right? So he's always having this spirit of thanksgiving. And I believe that's what the Lord does with us. So let's go ahead and dig in. Verse 15, it says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Let's pause there for a little bit, right? So Paul, what Paul is doing is Paul is explaining the why of his remembrance of the believers in his prayers, right? So he is explaining the why he is remembering them in his prayers. Um, listen to what it says in Romans 15, 5. It says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord, in accord with Christ Jesus. So this is following that example, right? And what, what is he telling us here? What is God um, inspiring Paul to write? Well, he's saying that may the God of endurance and encouragement... Right, so because we serve a God of endurance, we are to endure. A God of encouragement, we are to encourage others and we are to live in harmony with one another. And that's what Christ did. And that was the example of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. And in verse 6, it says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there you go. This is the reason why Paul is giving this thanks. Because I have heard, it says in verse 15, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Not only that, but because of this faith, they are able to now what? And your love toward all the saints. It doesn't say some of the saints or a few of the saints or even your local body. This is all the saints. So you can just put this in perspective. The saints that live around us. How many of us actually share this bond of love towards each other, right? Not only within your denomination, let's say you're a Baptist. Well, did you know the Presbyterians are also your brothers? Because they also, in the Orthodox understanding of the Presbyterian view, right, they have their issues which is a secondary issue, and Baptists have their issues, which is a secondary issue. 
but we don't let this conflict with the reality of the gospel because the go the same gospel was proclaimed to both of us and we both believe the same gospel now there's different areas within presbyterian uh the presbyterian view that go way left and same as with the baptists right we know um, of a group called the King James Onlyist Baptists, right? So these are the Baptists who believe that the King James Version is the only true and inspired Word of God, and there no other translation is not. We are not to read any other translation because it is false, it is wrong. So, so they are way left, and not even that. They reject the idea of repentance. They don't believe that you are to repent from your sins in order to be saved. Because they look at that as a works-based function, but it's not. Repentance is just a changing of heart and now desiring to do what is right and not what is wrong. right? So now we don't desire sin, so we repent from that. That means we turn our backs to that and then come to Christ, and we keep coming to Christ. Just because you found him doesn't mean you stop seeking for him. He tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and all and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That doesn't stop. You continually seek after him. So let's continue on. Verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So verse 15 says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Because of that, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, there's his spirit of thanksgiving, right? Paul is explaining uh, his unceasing, or you can say his continuous prayer of thanksgiving. But not only thanking God for what God has done, but also thanking God for what God has done within these people, right? He's directing this thanksgiving and saying, I thank God. And I thank God for you. Why does he thank God for them? It says, remembering you in my prayers, that God of our Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. So we get this projection of his prayer in saying, This is this is what I'm making known to God. This is what I want God to do within y'all, you saints. He does not cease to give thanks for them because of their faith, because of their love towards one another, right? This is only possible by what the Holy Spirit does within us, making us new, giving us new hearts, new desires. And it says, Remembering you in my prayers, 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. So what is Paul praying to the Father about? The answer is, Paul prays that the believers may grow in the knowledge of him, of God. Right? So this is what brings glory to the Father, that we seek to learn to know God more deeply and richly. But we can't do that on our own. Right? He's asking God that he may give us his spirit and Paul here explains the spirit. Spirit of what? Spirit of wisdom. God's spirit 
is the spirit of wisdom. God's spirit is the spirit of revelation. So this is what Paul wants. Paul wants the, the believers, the saints that are in Ephesus, to grow in their wisdom and also grow in the revelation and the knowledge of him. See, it's not just a revealing of something uh, random. Instead, this is a revealing, a revelation in the knowledge of him that we may know him. And this is what brings doxology, this praise to God. Because we get to learn more about him, the creator of the universe. Not only that, but we also join in in this privilege to praise God. And he revealed himself to us. And Jesus exegeted the Father. He made the Father known to us, right? And that's what it says whenever uh, we read through John. We see in John chapter 1, let me go ahead and flip there and read it to y'all. John chapter 1, listen to this, it says this, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So the, the, the he has made him known is basically saying the Father was revealing himself from afar, right? That's the natural revelation. And what is natural revelation? Well, that is creation. We see that God exists because of his creation, right? So you look at a car, you know someone created that car. Because of the creation, which is the car, we know that there is a creator or a designer, which is the, uh, the maker of that car. So same way, we look at God's world and we see his creation. Therefore, God is the creator. He created everything, right? He spoke it into existence. And this is the God that reveals himself to us in a personal way. And I believe that is worthy of all kinds of praise. So let's go back. So we get that Paul is praying to the Father. And he's praying to the Father that they may grow in the knowledge of God. Now, how is that done? Right? The Spirit grants us the ability to understand and grow in the knowledge and wisdom of Him, God. This is our purpose because we are to grow in a rightful kind of worship of God that brings him glory, not us glory, but him glory. You see, we're not to boast in us. We are to boast in the Lord because the Lord did it for us. And he is rightful uh, to receive this worship, right? Romans chapter 15, we read that earlier, but uh, let me read you verse 7. Verse 7 says, Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Right? So he just got done saying that may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Right? Sometimes we don't want to welcome people. We, we tend to be pushed back. So, Paul is setting, giving us this example of Christ that he has welcomed us. 
He welcomed us into this family. He did not look at our sin and say, hmm, let's see. Nope, nope, you sinned too many times. Nope, no. Our sins has caused us to fall short from the glory of God, all of us. Therefore, none of us can clean ourselves up. It is Christ. Yes, God chose whom he will save, right? That is the idea of predestination. We talked about that. We talked about that. But here, Paul is letting us know, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. This is show this kind of love that Christ has shown us, even to the point of death. So, so this is that idea, and it continues on, right? So verse 18, what does verse 18 say? It says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Again, without our hearts being enlightened, we will not be able to see verse 3, what he says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We will never be able to understand that or even grasp that unless it's by the Holy Spirit enlightening our hearts to see, giving us eyes to see. Right? So what the Spirit does is that he gives us the eyes to see from our hearts. Before Christ, our hearts were darkened completely, thus leaving us blind to see the reality of our deadness and sin. Until the Spirit of God gave us new hearts, we began to see, and as we grow, we notice that the little sins become big sins, and it moves us to repentance, right? Long time ago, lying as a new believer, right? Lying was just like, uh, well, okay, you know what? The white lies are fine, just not the not any other lies, right? The lies that will help someone, that's a good thing, right? So that that's not sin. Or you could say that's a little sin. Well, lies do not have color. So whether it's a white lie, black lie, red lie, blue lie, doesn't matter. It's a lie. And what it is, it's sin. And because of that sin, God's judgment will be put on that. Now, whether it falls on Christ and Christ says, I died for your sins, well, Jesus took care of that on the cross. He bled. He died on the cross in order that we might be saved. But now, growing into faith, right, the Holy Spirit enlightening us and giving us wisdom and the knowledge of God, now we see how glorious and holy God is and how dirty we are in a need, dire need of cleansing, we see that even these little sins taint us badly or quote-unquote little, right? So this moves us to repentance and this, this is just a fruit that we are actually growing in the knowledge of God because now we are repenting of things we used to see as little or nothing and now we see them as big, and this is a hindrance. I need to get on my knees and ask God for forgiveness. Now, this isn't to be 
a works kind of righteousness that we are trying to achieve, but because we are saved, we repent from our sins and thank God and ask him to forgive us, knowing that he has forgiven us already. We don't stay shut up about it as if we're trying, we, we can hide that sin or specific sins from God. No, God sees all. So what God wants from us is our obedience and our and his call to us is to repent from our sins and ask him for forgiveness. You see, yes, we are to fear the Lord, but it, this is a rightful kind of fear because Romans 5 lets us know, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now we are not to fear God in a way that he will condemn us because he's already died on a cross for us. So, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, it says, enlightened to what? That we may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So we were called to this hope. What are the riches, here it is, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And in verse 19, it says this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? So, let me just, let me just backtrack a little. Verse 18, right? So, we're, we're talking about verse 18 and what the Spirit does is enlightening our hearts, right? Blind hearts cannot see because blind hearts are not enlightened. They're set on the flesh, not on the spirit or on the things above, right? Um, let me just quickly read you 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, and just listen to this. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given, to, given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Listen to this, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So, there you go. This is why we need the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and to move us to the light, per se the enlightened to to understanding of what God is doing within this world, this broken world. And we read that. We, we understand that what God is doing is bringing everything, the mystery of his will. What is the mystery of his will? To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So when we understand that, we now come to verse 20 or verse 19 it continues right and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe 
according to the working of his great might. God's power is beyond us. Just think about it, right? Think about it. Now times that by infinity. Well, wait, there's a problem there. We don't know what infinity is. Infinity is beyond us because once we start thinking about infinity, we have included time because we try to compare infinity to, as far as the east is to the west, um, a million light years to the right and a million light years to the left. The starting point is at the left. The finish line is at the right. No, we already messed up because we use time. But Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing these words, <clears throat> tell us that we are to at least know that there is this immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, right? According to the working of his great might, right? God's power is immeasurable. So there is nothing, right, that we can think about, that we can think of that will get even close to God's power. And Paul points this in saying that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will bring us to the understanding that God's power is beyond our minds. Right? Just like Christ's love, God's love towards us in Christ Jesus is not understandable. We will not be able to understand it in this life. It will take us an eternity to realize the love that God has for us. Because we are still in the flesh. It's hard for us to even get a grasp. Yes, we see that Christ died for us, but this is God manifested in the flesh. The creator of the whole universe humbled himself to the point of being a servant. Just thinking about that a little just blows your mind and saying, wow. God could have done whatever he wanted to his creation. And instead, what he does is he steps into his own creation and says, I have chosen you, but there is a price and the price is my life. And then we continue on. Paul letting us know what the spirit of God does. How powerful is God's spirit? Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What is Paul telling us there? Paul is saying this is how powerful and great the Holy Spirit is. Paul points us to the Spirit of God and showing his power on display, right? So this is God's power on display. And what is that? Well, he rose Christ from the grave and seated him on his throne in heaven. This is beyond what we could do. And this is the spirit who dwells within us. This is the spirit 
who made us alive in Christ. See, we are alive and we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Um, And we will read that later. But here, we are recognizing the great might of God. We are recognizing the work um, that the Holy Spirit has done in Christ. And what was this? Well, he rose him from the dead. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 through 9, it says this, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Verse 6, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. God is sovereign. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So we cannot get a grasp of what Jesus put in subjection, what God put him in subjection. Um, It says, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Verse 9, but Jesus, so this is whom we can look at, we can see, but Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, So we were able to see that, they're saying. We were able, we witnessed this, we know this happened. We don't, we can't see the future, but we can see what happened in the past. Before this time of writing this letter, it says, Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Right? He tasted death for all of us who will believe in him. So, this is the founder of salvation. This is the one in whom we look to and say, yes, this is the hope that we set up ourselves on. We set our hopes on God, on Christ and his work and what he's done for us. So now we can understand why Paul begins this letter the way he begins with it. Right? He is praising God. He is giving thanks to God, praying to God, and he's showing his concern for the believers that God may reveal himself and give us the spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, of revelation, and the knowledge of him because this is what will bring God glory. And this is the purpose of us being made alive anyway, is that we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So, there you go. That was chapter 1 of Ephesians. And I am glad that you sat through all of this and listened uh, to chapter 1 of Ephesians with me. And I usually begin with, Welcome to Follow Me to Heaven, where God's Word is truth and your questions matter. Well, one of the reasons why I created this podcast is to 
not only share God's word and teach it, because I believe that God has given me the ability to teach um, in such a way that I desire uh, to preach and teach his word. So this is my call to preach and teach his word in one way or another. And this is a way for me to be able to do that and share God's word in such a way that he might be glorified. But also, I did this podcast for the questions, right? So I asked people to give me some questions that I can answer, that I may answer. And someone actually asked me a question and I want to bring it to light and just explain it. So this is going to be really brief. And the question was, so who do we pray to? Do we pray to the Father? Do we pray to the Son? Do we pray to the Holy Spirit? And is it wrong to pray to Jesus? Is it wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit? Or is it wrong to pray to the Father alone? Right? Jesus gave us the example whenever he prayed and he prayed to the Father, and it was always directed to the Father. So, would it be wrong to pray to the Father and the Father alone? Well, no, it's not wrong. And this is why. Because when we pray to the Father, we are doing it in Jesus' name. Right? So, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Right? Sometimes we add that at the end of our prayers, right? We say something, and then we say, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the words in Jesus' name has no power. That's not what is the definitive factor that God will hear us, is if we include in Jesus' name. No, it's, it's actually this formula in Jesus' name is actually unbiblical. Not that it is wrong, but it does give a false idea that as long as we say in Jesus' name, God will hear us. No, if, if you don't say in Jesus' name, it's perfectly fine. Because this is what Jesus said in John 14, 13 through 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. See, some people misapply that and they say, see, that's why we have to pray in Jesus' name. Yeah, you're praying in Jesus' name by praying to the Father. You are prompted to pray, and when you pray, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you are praying in Jesus' name because we are relying on Christ's power to bring this about. And now, where is the Holy Spirit in all of this? Well, the Holy, <clears throat> well, the Holy Spirit is who moves us to pray to the Father. So prayer is triune. The Holy Spirit moves us to bring our petitions to God, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And then also in Scripture, it tells us that Jesus intercedes for us in prayer. So not only the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, but Jesus Christ is interceding for us. And who are they interceding us to? Well, the Father, to God. Now, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is on our side when we pray. And they are bringing this and they are interceding for us. And even 
when we don't do not know what to say in our prayers, well, they intercede for us. The Holy Spirit interprets our moans and groans to the Father so that the Father may know what our petitions are, what our prayers are. So, no, it is not wrong to pray to Jesus. No, it is not wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit. And no, it is not wrong to pray to the Father alone. <clears throat> so, because prayer is triune, prayer involves all three persons of the Trinity to work it about, right? We pray in Jesus' name, meaning we are relying in Christ's power. Not only that, the Holy Spirit is moving us and he intercedes for us. And not only that, all of this is to bring the Father glory, which glorifies the God of the universe, the Godhead, who was shared by three persons. Co-equal, co-eternal, yet separate persons. So 1 John 5, 14 and 15, let me just read this and I will end it. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. There you go. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have what we have asked of him. So praying in Jesus' name is basically praying for things that will honor and glorify Christ. This is Follow Me to Heaven with Jonathan Romero. <laughs>